Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First of all, it's Christian musical artist and author Matthew West, who has used songs and the written word to tell stories about how God has worked in people's lives. You'll be hearing about his new book. Then from Focus on the Family, Christy Lynn discusses how the Bible comes together with the characters of Adventures in Odyssey for a new experience. Plus, Alton Lee Webb, who has founded a church, led it for a number of years, and has stayed plugged into the marketplace, offering some encouragement about taking the church outside the four walls. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, some observations from author and professor Robert Crosby who relates some important information about how God is moving among Hispanic people. Next, it's Jeff Kinley, who offers some analysis about the current state of America and how that could possibly relate to end times prophecy. Also, some insight into a new DVD release written and directed by Sandra L. Martin, dealing with matters of ambition, forgiveness, and trust. Finally, some comments from David Stokes, who offers pointed critique about how relationships in the church can deteriorate and how forgiveness is an essential element in the healing process. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Christian musical artist Matthew West is not only known for a number of familiar songs, but he's someone who incorporates story into many of his songs. He's written a new book called Hello, My Name Is, which is based on the song of the same name, and he deals with the importance of recognizing who God says that a person is in Christ. To talk about the book, Hello, My Name Is, Discover Your True Identity, this is Matthew West. It's been such a cool journey. I, um, you know, as a songwriter, you, stip- you typically start writing songs to, as a way of sort of telling your story to the world, you know, and so you look within for inspiration. And, um, you know, several years ago, I had, I actually had to have surgery on my throat and it was uh, career threatening surgery. And I wasn't sure if, if I would ever be able to sing again. And through that experience, God just kind of did a powerful work in my life. And one of the things in particular that I felt like he showed me through my own personal trial was that he was going to restore my voice, but he would be giving me my voice so that I could then give a voice to other people. Mm. And I remember writing that in my journal one day, and I didn't know what that even meant at the time. But slowly and surely, I started to realize what he had planned. And I had this idea to write songs inspired by the stories of other people's lives. And so I began reaching out and, and, and giving people the opportunity, simply inviting them to say, hey, I want you to know that your story matters and that God has a plan for your story, um, and I wanted to invite them the chance to share their testimony with me. Uh, all these years later, I've collected thousands upon thousands, over 40,000 stories and counting of just true, true stories, real life, real people going through the real messes of life, trying to deal with what they've uh, been handed or choices they've made or situations with their family or finances or health. And they share with me one by one how a healing God is stepping into the most broken places of their life and saying, I'm not done with you yet. And really, those stories have been the platform and the inspiration behind so many of my songs, like Hello, My Name Is and Forgiveness and Strong Enough and Grace Wins. Behind every song is a, a name, a face, and a story. And now with this new book, I've had the honor and the opportunity of sharing some of those powerful stories behind my songs, as well as sharing my own story of my journey, figuring out how I fit into this world and who God says I am, and more importantly, how I can learn to believe who God says I am 
versus who the world says I am. And that's really the heart behind this book. What was the story or stories that you encountered that really inspired the original song? Well, it was one story in uh, in particular. A young man named Jordan wrote to me, and the very first sentence of his story said, Hello, my name is Jordan. So you can see where I got the title from. Hello, my name is Jordan, and I'm a drug addict. Jordan shared with me how he grew up a good preacher's kid, wound up becoming a gifted athlete, was a seven-time All-American in college, but then suffered a severe injury and was handed a prescription to pain medication. Jordan said, Looking back, he realized that he had put so much of his identity in the good things about him. I mean, who wouldn't want to have All-American on your name tag? That's pretty cool. But when that was taken away from him because of his injury, he didn't know who he was anymore. And he began to spiral out of control, and addiction began to become his new identity. After he got kicked out of college, he lost his scholarship. He hit rock bottom and wound up at 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 a last resort of a Christian recovery program called Teen Challenge. And that's where his story began to turn around. God changed his life. Um, Most importantly, God changed his view of himself. Jordan said, I used to think I was going to be defined by my failures, but now I realize that I'm not my successes. I'm not my failures. I am who God says I am. On my best day, I'm a child of God. And on my worst day, I'm still a child of God. He finished his story by saying to me, I no longer introduce myself as an addict. Instead, I say, hello, my name is Jordan, and I'm a child of the one true king. Man, I about leapt out of my chair after reading that story. (laughs) I was so fired up. It's a powerful reminder that this is the God we serve. He doesn't leave the broken. He goes to the broken. He says, I see you differently. Let me show you how much I love you. I love you enough to call you my child. And that really was the heart behind the song and now the heart behind this entire book, hopefully reaching out to the Jordans of the world, to anybody who's been tempted to believe a lie about who they are and say, hey, you can stop right there. You turn your sights towards the direction of your creator and the one who made you has something to say about who you are. Matthew West here on The Intersection. His website address is MatthewWest.com. Well, Christy Lynn is Director of Marketing for Kids and Culture for Focus on the Family. Recently, she discussed with me aspects of the new NIRV Adventures in Odyssey Bible, including its content and how parents can actually use the product to help their children learn more about God's Word. Here now with some information about this new Bible is Christy Lynn. You know, it's been 17 years since Adventures in Odyssey has released a Bible, and so we wanted to do so again and give kids in this generation an opportunity to know and grow in Jesus. And so not only did we want to find a translation that was easy for kids to understand, which is the NIRV, uh, which is a third grade reading level, we also wanted to pack it with loads of features and information so that kids could really dig into God's Word and be excited to do so. So we loaded it with all sorts of things, including uh, 200 devotionals that will help kids apply what they're learning to their heart and to their lives. We have uh, 100 word searches so that they can uh, go with Jason's jargon and try and find some words that are important to the scripture that they're reading. We have uh, Wooten 
has developed 300 fun trivia facts for the Bible uh, just to have a little bit of fun. Um, there's 52 key verses that kids can memorize that reveals and connects God's larger story to their lives, all the way from Genesis to Revelations. And of course, the comic books that I uh, told you about, the comic book adventures that are inserted. And then we reference over 300 adventures and odyssey audio dramas uh, that are connected to the biblical story. So if you're wanting to dig in deeper, you could either look at your CD collection and listen to that or go to the Adventures and Odyssey Club and be able to dig in deeper with your Bible. So it's loaded with all sorts of great uh, features such as that that will hopefully provide kids that great foundation of learning the Bible. And, and that's what it boils down to is making sure that kids feel confident in opening up their Bible and reading God's Word, and they develop habits to do so. We know that uh, there are kids young at heart and kids ages 8 to 12 that love Adventures and Odyssey. With the NIRV translation, we believe that you can even start a kid around the age of 7 and really begin to uh, foster that love for God's Word with that Bible. So they could do that and, and begin begin that spiritual journey, and uh, it's going to be a great adventure. And we know statistically, Bob, that it's really important to do so and to lay that foundation for kids young because a child's biblical worldview is really formed by the age of 13 or 14. Now that's not to say that someone, an, an adult, cannot come to Jesus. They certainly can. We know that to be true. However, if we want to lay a strong foundation for a child so that they uh, grow up believing in Jesus and having that strong, firm foundation, then we want to start as early as possible so that as they grow into the teenage years, they will, they will not depart from God's Word. And so uh, we want to encourage parents to do some simple things to help kids really begin to own their faith. And one of the most important things is to begin that process of reading God's Word, not just on Sunday in Sunday school or, or at church, but reading it and developing a daily habit of reading God's Word, maybe one or two verses a day. And whatever that is, maybe it's having a, a weekly family um, night where you're reading it together, or perhaps you're reading it every single day at the dinner table. Whatever it is, um, showing kids the importance of reading God's Word and making it a part of their lives, and then encouraging them to personally do so. Christy Lynn here on The Intersection. You can learn more at AIOBible.com. Alton Lee Webb was involved in launching a church in Shelbyville, Kentucky, and served as its lead pastor for a number of years. In a recent conversation with me, he discussed concepts he relates in the book, Go Outside, Get Up, Go Out, Change the World. Here now from that conversation is Alton Lee Webb. I think to go outside is to acknowledge that God uh, has done everything for us and that we owe everything to Him. By His grace, we are saved uh, through our faith in Him. But to go outside is to recognize that first and then to say, well, with the circumstances God's given me, with the money God's given me, with the influence God's given me, it's time that I start leaving myself behind to join Jesus and what He's calling us to do. Now, for me, that was starting a church. 
but it's a lot more, if you will, ordinary uh, everyday circumstances that drive us outside. Uh, and what I mean by that is whether it's in your workplace, how you conduct your business, how you uh, raise your children, how you love your wife. Um, if you're in line to get a coffee and you're, you're looking forward to having that cup of coffee you just got and you walk outside and this crazy notion comes over you that you ought to give that coffee to someone else outside. Hmm. <laughs> it's just little things that happen. It's crazy, almost haphazard things that happen in our lives on a daily basis. It's that pesky idea that won't go away, or maybe it's that problem that you know about in your community that you see as an opportunity to really share the love of God and the love of Christ with others. So we're stepping out. We're stepping off the bench. We're getting into the game. We're walking towards the mess, and we're, we're really moving away from what is familiar and trusting God with our everyday lives. That's what going outside is. Someone who goes outside, they're called in the book, as I understand it, an outsider. I understand that you actually lay out five elements of an outsider. Talk about those and give us some insight into each of them. Well, it's important that when you think about outside, you you almost have to frame it up because it's such a large place, right? I mean, outside is a scary place, and um, it's something that, frankly, I'm even just beginning to scratch the surface on. So we thought for the sake of readers and for the sake of those that are becoming outsiders um, that, that it would be a good idea to package these up into five uh, elements, if you will. Um, so the first one is essentials. The second one is vision. The third one is learning. The fourth one is logistics. And the fifth one is beyond. As we begin to sort of lean into going outside, we find out very quickly that we need the essentials. And so the the book covers what those are, but a few of those uh, are certainly prayer, certainly being in God's Word, and also realizing that uh, as an essential, we have to rely on God, that we're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. The second element, vision, talks about how to establish the vision and how to really lean into what God's calling you to do with the gifts that he's given you. I think a lot of times we're, we're, we're ready to do something. We just don't know where to get started. We don't know how to get started. It's very important that we clarify the vision that God is giving us. The third one is learning. And of course, we're always learning. And part of learning for me and my story was learning to unlearn a lot of what I thought I knew. Uh, those preconceived notions, those boxes that I had put around what I thought uh, had to be a certain way. Um, and so we, we kind of opened that up through that third element when we learn. The fourth one is logistics. And those are the questions you're going to immediately run into, right? What am I going to do about my job? How am I going to financially do this? Where should I start this? Who should start this with me? All of those logistics, they're going to come at you very quickly. But, but again, we list that as a fourth one. We can't get hampered by that as we go outside, but it is a very practical, important part of a faith journey. And then the last one is probably my favorite one, uh, and that is beyond. When you think about the way Christ Community Church started, it wasn't about one person. It was about a group of people. And after leading that church for five years, it occurred to me our church had grown. A lot had happened. 
and that God had called me to use my gift in initiating the church. But after it had started, look, we, it, you know, it was it was going. And so five years into it, I turned around and saw six or seven other leaders that were all very capable of leading it. So we led the church from the beginning in a way that beyond that thinking, that element of beyond was in the DNA from the very beginning. That allowed us to stay outside. That allowed it to be more about what God was doing and the mission that he had. And it wasn't about one person. Lee Webb here on The Intersection. His website address is Alton, A-L-T-O-N, LeeWebb.com. This is The Intersection, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more by visiting the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations from many of the guests featured on The Intersection podcast. Also through that site, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs can be found through that site. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Robert Crosby is an author, speaker, and professor. He's also the co-founder of the ministry Teeming Life. Recently, he spoke with me about trends within the Hispanic church, as he and Samuel Rodriguez document in the book, When Faith Catches Fire, Embracing the Spiritual Passion of the Latino Reformation. From that conversation, this is Robert Crosby. In uh, following and working with uh, Latino leaders and churches and traveling to different places in the world, seeing what God is doing, one of the, the the word that jumps out to me over and again is the word passion. And really this book, When Faith Catches Fire, is is really about passion. You know, how do we look at the passion that God is giving to this church and this group and to these different groups? Because many of the people we're talking about are Hispanics that are a part of multicultural churches, churches that have decided to reach out to people in their community. But the passion shows up in worship. It shows up in a focus on family life and culture, holding on to some of those traditions. It also shows up in not only there being an emphasis on salvation, but also justice, issues of need, issues that are going on in the culture and the society. There is almost in places where I go almost like an equal emphasis on salvation and on serving the needs of people in the community. Uh, Samuel Rodriguez likes to say that that, uh, Latinos are bringing together uh, Billy Graham and Martin Luther King. Uh, Righteousness and justice are meeting together in a beautiful way, and I I truly, truly see that happening. And uh, certainly he would be the first to tell you, as others would, that Latinos and Hispanics are not a perfect church, but there's a passion that they have. And, you know, I look at Christianity, and the key components of it is like three legs on stool. Uh, there is what we believe, matters of the mind. There's what we do, matters of the hand, our works. And then there's, there's our passion, matters of the heart. So you have what you believe, which theologians would say is your orthodoxy, what you do, which is your orthopraxy, or mm-hmm. what you practice, 
and then the feelings and passions of the faith, which is orthopathy. So, so there is a, a beautiful bringing together of the issues of doctrine and the opportunities of service wrapped up in this incredible passion. Uh, and whenever I spend time with Latino brothers and sisters in Christ and pastors, and, and I'm sort of freshly full of it right now because I just came from South America, and you, I almost have to pry myself away now because there is such a, a devotion to family life, and also the church's family. There's a community. You know, sociologists tell us that generally speaking, uh, parts of South America, other parts of the world, many of them are more community-focused, and that the United States tends to be more individualistic. So with all the wonderful things God is doing for the United States and the way he's blessed us, one of the things that I believe we could really, it would prosper us to look at and discern in the Latino world and Latino church today is this incredible sense of community. Uh, I believe when you become a Christian, you're not only called to Christ, but you're called into the body of Christ. And it just seems to me that many Hispanic believers really get that, really practice that in a great way. And the more I'm around them, uh, the more I feel I'm challenged and stirred in that area, that my faith is not just about me. That when you read the word you in the Bible, it's not talking just about the individual you see in the mirror. It's talking also about the collective you, the body of Christ, who you are together in Christ. Mm. Robert Crosby here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website whenfaithcatchesfirebook.com. Well, Jeff Kinley is an author and has written a book called The End of America, Bible Prophecy and a Country in Crisis. In our conversation, he gave an appraisal of the state of America, how it may be related to biblical prophecy, and how the church can respond in the midst of current events. Here now is Jeff Kinley. You know, it's alarming. The first time, for the first time in our history, less than 50% of people are attending church nowadays. We're, we're, as a nation, becoming spiritually less interested and more interested in materialistic things or pursuit of pleasure or media and that type of thing. But we are less interested in God and spiritual things than any time in our history. And then also, just with the decaying morality, of course, it's no you know, no uh, secret that, you know, gay marriage being legalized and the transgender explosion that we're experiencing in Supreme Court decisions where people's rights now trump their moral responsibility, moral relativism that's on the horizon. Uh, and the way that, that sin really has seeped into our culture and really saturated our soil uh, with this whole idea of the fact that whatever you think is right is right. And we're seeing the ripple effects of that in, in generations. In fact, it's affecting the family now to where 41% of children are now even born outside of marriage. That's just un, unthinkable. And so the declining spirituality is a huge factor. We're just, we're becoming a, we are a postmodern America, postmodern country, but we're becoming a godless society. And then with the moral, the moral decay, uh, it's even causing us to corrupt ourselves even further. And that causes me to have alarm, causes me to look up and look around and go, what am I supposed to do about this? What does the Bible tell me to do? I think, first of all, it's, it's fair to say that it's okay to be a patriot. It's okay to love your country. I love my country. I love America. My firstborn son is a graduate of West Point. He's captain in the Army. And I'm a, I'm a patriot myself. However, when we look at Scripture, we see that Paul taught that the Philippians in particular, he says, you know, our priority is with our heavenly 
citizenship. That's where we identify with. That's where our destiny is going to be. So when it comes down to choosing between being an American and being a Christian, we have to go with being a Christian. So I think the church today really has to realign its priorities. Christians have to understand that this is not our home eventually. This is just a temporary spot. And so while we're here, we have to do something, but it has to begin in our own hearts. So we have to reorder our priorities and then begin to change our expectations about what God wants us to do in our own lives. And Paul says in Colossians, to set your mind on the things above where Christ is. So I think the way that practically impacts us is that it causes us to realize that, you know, spiritual things are most important. God's kingdom is most important. The clock is ticking. The time is late. What am I doing with my life? And so once we get our priorities set in our own hearts, we have to say, all right, how can I help others come to know God and see uh, this eternal perspective and how Jesus Christ is the answer to their life? Mm. One of the things that, that Bible prophecy tells us is that the next major event on God's calendar is what is popularly known as the rapture of the church, or God removing his people from planet Earth before he unleashes his judgment on the planet. And of course, God did that with with Noah, did that with Lot. Uh, God typically takes his people away before he brings his judgment on the planet. So I believe that's the next thing that's going to happen on the planet. And when that does, it's going to have a catastrophic effect on our country. You know, statistics say that about one in 10 Americans identify as being Christians. If that's true, then there's about 30 million Americans uh, who are believers in Jesus Christ. Imagine the impact when 30 million Americans are taken away from our planet. Now, of course, in other countries where the population is Christian population is less than 1%, it may not have as, as large of an effect. But I think the rapture event itself, and I go into great detail on how that affects America, how that will take our country into a whole new era of existence. And so the different scenarios that, that are very realistic right now, even before the rapture, is that America could collapse financially. Uh, that's something that, that could definitely be on the horizon. In fact, 49% of American households now receive some sort of government benefits. You just can't survive like that as a country. Um, I believe America will collapse morally completely following the rapture. There will be no one around to speak up for what is good or right or righteous or godly. Uh, I believe that America could be could be disabled by a nuclear strike from some other country, whether it be Korea or North Korea or Russia. And also there could be uh, another terroristic attack on our country or perhaps a series of them. In fact, the Federal Bureau of Investigation says that there are 900 ongoing investigations into jihadist activity in all 50 states. And so there could be a coordinated attack. And so there are many possible scenarios about how America could completely uh, enter into her final decline. But I think really the, the nail in the coffin is going to be when God removes his spirit and his people from our country. Jeff Kinley here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website jeffkinley.com. Well, The Intersection continues now with Sandra L. Martin, writer and director of the film Trust Fund, available on DVD. In our conversation, she discussed the overall concept of the movie, a modern-day retelling of the story of the prodigal son from Scripture. She also discussed plot elements and key messages dealing with trust and forgiveness. Here now is Sandra L. Martin. <laughs> we'll just give a spoiler alert yeah. here. Yeah. But uh, is in, in the Bible, the prodigal, uh, we know he went and he asked his father for the money, uh, for his inheritance. But I thought, well, what would that look like today? And, um, you know, we all talk about how we've kind of in a 
a culture of entitlement. So I was kind of played on that. And I thought, well, today we would, you know, just take, we probably wouldn't even ask. And so as soon as she found out that her mother who had passed away had lost, had left some money for her, she immediately thought her father was trying to keep something from her. So instead of like going to him and trying to figure out what it was or knowing that he would have her best interest at heart, she immediately thought, well, he's trying to keep it from me. And she ends up taking it. She justifies. So um, I won't go any further because I will give it away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the name of the movie is Trust Fund. There's a... That tells just a bit about the the nature of the story, but how did you come up with the title? With the title? Well, we went through so many different ideas, and it was really it's a very hard job to come up with a title because that's going to say everything. And honestly, it was my son that finally uh, came up with that one, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Like, so many people could relate to that. It's kind of a common, it's a common term on, like, kind of an old story. So it gives it a little bit of a new new twist, and the 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 subtitle to it is Know Who to Trust. And um, I really love that because it can go so many different ways. Because, um, like in the movie, she finds out that there's a boy that she shouldn't trust, and there's one that she can, and she should have trusted her father. But And I talk about in the making of the film, we found out on a very personal level who we needed to trust because it was such a, um, the, the filmmaking process is so difficult. And I was like every day on set, um, you know, we had to rely on God to show up and just to intervene with so many things. And it really did. It was a lesson for us in trust. Well, you're listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. Sandra L. Martin is joining us today. She serves as writer and director of this new film called Trust Fund. And as you really conceptualized this film, what did you intend originally to communicate with it? Um, well, I think I went back to the very old, um, you know, the sense of love and forgiveness. And, but, you know, the story is packed with all the great things to tell a story. It's got, you know, greed and betrayal, and the older sister has pride. But then on the other hand, we see how it turns into love and forgiveness and this redemption. So those are all things that, you know, we just played up um, in the story. It's all there, you know. And it's funny because if you go to the Bible and read it, it's a, you know, it's a chapter. But, you know, when you kind of start unpacking it and you figure out what those characters would have done, and kind of tell, Mm. you know, you can have a lot of fun artistically with that. Sandra L. Martin here on The Intersection. Learn more at TrustFundMovie.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's David Stokes, senior pastor of Expectation Church in Fairfax, Virginia, and author of the book, When Good Samaritans Get Mugged, Hope and Healing for Wounded Warriors. Some thoughts about relationships and forgiveness here now from that conversation, this is David Stokes. Well, you, you know, you call me a veteran of the church. <laughs> I, in the book, I actually refer to myself as a survivor of the church. And uh, I'm very pro-church. I'm a church person. I believe in the church. Uh, I serve in the church. Uh, I believe uh, what the, the scriptures say about the church. But I also know that, 
you know, we're all human beings, we're all fallen, and uh, sometimes it comes as a rude awakening, particularly to younger uh, people in the faith, and I'm talking about not age, but chronologically young from their conversion, that uh, sometimes Christians, we don't always act uh, all that Christian. And I think uh, we're capable of being uh, petty and vindictive and mean and bitter and unforgiving. And and uh, the whole premise of the book is this good Samaritan who does this good deed for that uh, person of the story Jesus told. I, I, uh, I speculate, what if he was walking back on the same road and uh, those same burglars and uh, and muggers got him. What happens when the person who is trying to do the right thing, trying to help others, trying to minister, trying to serve, gets hurt? And I am convinced, Bob, that people, uh, one of the greatest sources of attrition, and I say this as a pastor and an observer of ministry all these years and growing up around it, I'm a pastor's kid as well, uh, is that people get hurt, and we all do. Some people work through it, go through it, get over it, some people don't, and I think that, and that hurt creates bitterness. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, don't give the devil a foothold. It's in the direct context of unresolved anger, and I think that's one of the great reasons for attrition, whether it's young people or people in their, their mid-career, wherever they are in their, in their spiritual journey. In the book, what did you want to to do to perhaps address those that have uh, been, well, as we might say, burned by the church? Well, I think the first thing is to let people know it's a very common experience, because as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, and in other places, he, he talks about uh, how we all deal with the same stuff, and we shouldn't think it's strange in one of the chapters he talks about. And I think, so number one, people know that it's common, and don't be surprised when it happens. Uh, and second of all, I think what we have to do in the church, you know, we talk about the world and the world getting to the church and how the church is not of the world, we're called out of the world. And a lot of time those those discussions debate, uh, and they, they reduce down to style and, you know, music and, and all of these things we've talked about many times uh, with people. But I think the way the world really gets into the church is through just these these very primal and petty attitudes that we have. I think sometimes we're just mean, sometimes we're unforgiving. And uh, we have to learn to exhibit those graces. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, the world will not know we're disciples because of our stand on the issues or because of our steeple. Uh, they'll know we're disciples because we have a genuine love, and I think the kind of love that works through problems with one another. Talk about some of the steps that you put put forward in this book. Well, uh, whenever you're wounded, uh, and I use the analogy of... Uh, of, of a cut or a scrape, I actually use a, a golf analogy. But when you get a cut, uh, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to clean that wound because it's subject to infection. And the first thing that has to happen when you get hurt is you've got to you've got to find a way to cleanse that wound to keep it clean and not let it get infected. Cleanse it and and, and close it. And uh, the, for practical purposes, the agents that we that we use for that in a spiritual realm. Number one, the Word of God. Uh, the Bible says, you know, the Word of God, you know, where, where all shall a young man cleanse his way, uh, but through the Word of God. You are clean to the Word which I have spoken unto you, Jesus said in John 15. And so we have the Word of God, and then we also have uh, the need for forgiveness. And a lot of the book I talk about practical strategies for forgiveness, what it means, what it doesn't mean. 
uh, and what it doesn't have to mean, and it may surprise some folks, but uh, we have to do that. Otherwise, the wound will become infected. And I use an illustration in golf, and I'm not a very much a very good golfer, but if I hit a ball on the on the fairway and it takes a divot with it, and sometimes a divot goes farther than the ball, and I am supposed to, just as a matter of protocol and etiquette, take that little piece of chunk of earth back, tap it back into where it came from, and maybe do a little policing, add some seed to it or whatever, it'll regenerate in 24 to 48 hours. But if it's left out there to dry for a day, it may take three weeks for that part to come back. And it's the same thing, I think, when we're wounded. Act quickly, uh, stop the bleeding, clean the wound, manage the wound, and don't pick at it. Remember, Mom always used to say, don't pick at that, don't pick at that. <laughs> and we, uh, we've we got to learn how to leave that alone, let it heal. And uh, forgiveness and the word, I think, are, are two powerful agents. David Stokes here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting the website davidrstokes.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand. Also through that site, you can find information on subscribing to The Intersection so that it can be delivered to your podcast receiving software on a weekly basis. It is available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is the three. The other is the front room. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page and get connected to video content, including content from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the recent CBA Unite event in Cincinnati. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.